So we are in this series, week two of Analog Christian, where what we're really looking at is how do we follow Jesus in a fast-paced digital world that we find ourselves in? And so that's what we're unpacking. And it really is all about this one verse in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Today, we're going to talk about joy, specifically joy instead of comparison. And I know none of y'all struggle with comparing yourself with other people. So this is for that one person online, just way back there. Um, And I'm just grateful that none of us uh, struggle with that. Uh, This past week, our middle and high schoolers went to camp. And my wife and I got to go visit them at camp. And it's really hard to talk about a message on joy and not talk about camp. Check this out. My favorite part about camp would probably be our small group time so far. Our group is so, so sick. My favorite part of camp is spending time with some of my friends. My favorite part of camp so far has been seeing our students learn how to do a quiet time and figure out what having a relationship with Christ looks like. My favorite part of camp has definitely been um, praise and worship. I really loved it, and I could really feel the presence of God surrounding us. Listen, I I think we should take a vote right now. We need a camp for adults. That's all I'm saying. I I say that with one part of my brain and the other part of my brain is like, just watching that video hurt my body. So um, it, it was an incredible, incredible week. And what the camp did is they created a lot of happy moments, but only God can create joy. And they both collided to where we saw so many students experience the joy of the Lord. I can't tell you how many stories that I heard over and over. There was one text about a student that I got. um, And I want to share this with you just to let you know, uh, we don't allow students to take their phones to camp, which will help you in the story. Amen. Amen. I love it. On the bus, Joey was sitting alone in the back. He was on his phone. Through some good detective work, we confiscated his phone. (laughs) 15 minutes later, he was in the middle of the crowd having fun. The first night, he connected with other guys in his group and grew closer to them all week. Come Wednesday, he was leaning into what God wanted to say to him. God revealed to him that the life he was living was and is not what God wants for him, and God was welcoming Joey to come back home. So Joey responded to the call and began to experience 
God's overwhelming love and joy. He said he was so thankful that he was pushed to come to camp. At one point in worship on it, a Randall middle schooler came to comfort Joey who was tearing up and the kid prayed over him. That experience changed Joey. He said he now wants to go home and tell everybody how Jesus changed his life and how he could change theirs as well. That awesome. That's so cool. We took a lot of students to camp. We took 145 total people. And if you would ask me on Monday, I would have said that was unbelievable. And I'm so grateful. But if you asked me today, I would say that's not nearly enough students. I want every student in our community to experience what our students experienced this past week. And so that's what we're going to continue to do is try to help bring the hope and the love and the joy of Jesus to the community. And I want to thank you because you're a big part of that. We were able to give a good amount of scholarships to people. And it was just an incredible, incredible opportunity. Here's a stat that came out. said spending more than 30 minutes a day on social media significantly increases levels of anxiety, depression, and loneliness. 30 minutes a day. Some of us, if we're honest, we're like, man, we passed that by 9 a.m. <laughs> and some of us are we're like, well, I'm not on Facebook, so I don't really do social media. Listen, almost every app now has a social media component to it. That, that's the uh, lure of the addiction part of it. And I'm not anti-apps. I'm not anti-phone. I'm not anti-social media. I'm just saying moderation is needed, and I'm just reporting what studies have shown if I were to ask you what joy is, we'd get 100 different answers. And so I just want to give you my definition of what I believe joy is for the context of our message today. Joy is an inner sense of well-being and contentment that's not based on circumstances around us, but by connection with God within us. So today what I want to do is I want to unpack three verses from Philippians 4. This is from a guy named Paul. Paul is in an ancient jail cell. And what we know is that his savior, Jesus, was killed for telling people that he was the savior. And now Paul is going running around and he's telling people Jesus is the savior. And so they capture him and they put him in jail. He's wrongfully arrested. And I I don't know what he's going through, but I imagine he he is thinking there's a solid chance I'm not going to survive this. And he's in this ancient, horrible dungeon of a cell, and he knows that his Lord was just killed, and now he's awaiting his own death. And in the midst of that, he writes Philippians, which is a book on joy. And this is what he says in Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. You see, he is from prison telling people outside of prison how to rejoice. You get that? I tried to look up the Greek and everything, and after I looked up the Greek to all these words, it still means to rejoice in the Lord always. There is no question mark. There is no rejoice in the Lord after you win the lottery only or when you get the prize. This is always, and it is a command to rejoice. And this is my first point today. Make the choice to rejoice. That's what Paul did. Rejoicing is a choice that we make or don't make every single day. Joy is a choice that you can step into because it's a connection with God. It's not about our circumstances. And Paul not only said that, he lived that beautifully. Make the choice to rejoice. So how do we live joy? How do we live this out day to day? It's real easy. We got an acronym for you. J-O-Y, joy. When we put Jesus first, others second, and yourselves third, you experience joy. 
However, what's the opposite of joy? Yoj. Don't act like you don't know that word. I use it all the time. I'm not making stuff up. It's the opposite of joy. Y-O-J, it's when you put yourself first. It's all about you. Uh, your others focus, but not others to serve them. It's to compare. And then Jesus, if he's on the list at all, he's last. He's not first. And I want to unpack that, and then we'll get back to the joy. So yourself first. We talked a little bit about this last week, that one of the kind of the opposite ways of love, love is selfless, but putting yourself first is all about you. So it's kind of the opposite and it makes sense some, somehow, like if I'm going to be happy, I'm going to do what I want. But I'm telling you, with God, he flips everything upside down. And, and when you do whatever you want, that's the, the fast lane to not joy, but despair. And so if you want to be miserable in your life, only focus on yourself. Focus on self. What that does is it shrinks God and it enlarges you and it enlarges your problems. But the reverse shrinks your problems and enlarges God, which is the right size for God. The second one, the O, is others focused, but not in a serving way, but comparing others. And I want to land here for a couple moment, a couple minutes. There was a, a pastor in Virginia, and he well, wanted to see this revival take place in his community and at his church. And so they were leading up to this revival. The revival came and went, and there was really no revival. And then on Monday morning, he's meeting with the staff, and they're all discouraged. And this is what he says. He says, well, we didn't have much of a revival last week, but thank God the Methodists didn't either. You see, this idea of comparison can hit us all, right? You see, comparison's the fastest way to kill joy. Someone once said, social media compares our behind the scenes with other people's highlight reels. Think about that. We compare our behind the scenes, what we know to be true, to other people's highlight reel. And when we compare, it eats at us. I don't know if this ever happened to you, you... You spend all weekend, maybe all month on a home improvement project. Like you put so much blood, sweat, and tears into this project. You've been to Home Depot at least a hundred times if you're anything like me, okay? Like you went over and over and over. You finally finished the project, okay? And it was a small project, but you're proud of it. Then Sunday night comes. It's the end of the long weekend. You finish it. You get on the couch. You turn on the TV, and you see Chip and Joanna Gaines. They completely renovated their entire house in three minutes, and it looks gorgeous, and you're like, man, a lot of times what we do on social media is we have a bunch of amateurs in certain areas comparing ourselves to experts and we don't realize that they're experts and we're comparing ourselves to all these experts and it's a lose, lose. One of my favorite things that my wife and I do is, is you, you can Google this. We can talk about this all day long. We just think it's funny. I don't know if you've ever heard of, of the phrase nailed it or, or Pinterest nailed it. And what it, what this is, it's when you see somebody do something incredible on social media, and then you have like an amateur that tries to mimic it. And it could be about anything in life, but what the, the, the pro versus the amateur, and they put them side by side and they just hashtag it, nailed it. And it's, it's not, they didn't nail it at all. I just gave you a couple quick examples. Here's one. Beautiful heart-shaped cake. Nailed it. Can't even see what that is. This is one of my favorite. Glow jar. Nailed it. Some of y'all need to explain this to your neighbor. You're not quite sure what. 
You go on every day. Like, listen, it is healthy. It is okay if you go on social media to be able to laugh at yourself. Like, that's good. That's healthy. Like, like, let's take God serious and let's not take ourselves too serious. Like, that's okay. Let's, let's look at, let's use social media to learn from people, rejoice from people, laugh with people. But can you always do that? And if you can't, you got to be cautious. My wife and I, we could do it really good. <laughs> we can laugh at ourselves all day long. Where comparison begins, contentment ends. When we begin to compare, that can be the end of contentment. Pastor Craig Rochelle, he said it this way. He said, comparing makes you feel either superior or inferior and neither honors God. You see, if you compare to somebody else, you think, man, I'm better than that person. And that's pride. And James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud. Or if you compare to somebody else, you go, well, that person's way better than me. Now I feel insecure. And uh, 1 John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And so when we compare, we either think better or worse than ourselves, neither honor God. And some of you, you might not struggle with that type of comparison, but maybe you've been living in the land of Ur, as one pastor put it. You think, what's the, what's the land of Ur? The land of Ur is when you see something that somebody has, and you don't just want what they have, you want what they have plus ER. I want to be rich Ur. I want to be pretty Ur. I want to be smarter. I want to be stronger. Whatever the Ur is, and the land of Ur is an ugly, ugly place. The land of Ur is where joy goes to die. And maybe some of you have been spending a little bit too much time in the land of Ur, and you need to back your way out because it's a lose-lose battle. Paul talked about already in Philippians 4.4, rejoice and the Lord always, I'll say it again, rejoice. Like this is a command. And, and I talked about this in our, in the little article I wrote this week in loving the journey. Like I would make a horrible counselor. And I'm not just saying that like I, some of y'all like want to meet with me and you think I get it. Like I would be able to help you. And then you realize I try to talk you out of it, but we meet and I don't help you. And you're like, I wish I never would have met with you. I, I'm trying to help. I, I, I get, I'm not a good counselor. I'm always like, hey, we got people on staff that are way better at counseling than I am. And here's why. You'd come in and say, hey, listen, I'm really struggling with anxiety. I'd be like, well, just stop. Like, just stop doing that. Like, hey, I'm struggling to, to love my spouse more. Well, just start loving her more. What do you want me to do? Like, I'm just a horrible counselor. Like, I feel like that's what Paul's doing here when he says, you know, just rejoice in the Lord. Like, he's like, hey, just rejoice. But Paul takes it a step further. He actually gives it action steps where I'm not great with action steps. Paul actually has action steps. Listen, rejoice in the Lord, and I'm going to teach you how to do it. He says this just a couple verses later in Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Listen, there's a really, really, really big difference, like one major difference between optimists and pessimists. And it is what they choose to focus on. And I've been an optimist pretty much ever since I can remember. And I hear all the arguments. I, I, I hear, listen, everything's every day. Everybody's not all rainbows and ice cream, or you're just not a realist. You need to be a realist, or you're not seeing it the right way. Like, listen, you can call yourself whatever you want, but if, if you are in one of those realist categories, I would just say you call yourself whatever you want, but you're not going to call yourself joyful. Because right here it says, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, 
You see, we have limited capacity in our brain. If we're constantly looking for the good, that automatically tells the bad. You don't have enough uh, bandwidth for us to maintain that. And so Philippians 4 saying, listen, whatever is good, whatever is pure, you want to call me an optimist? You want to call me faithful? You call me whatever you want, but you're also going to call me joyful. That's what you're going to do. <laughs> By golly, you're going to call me joyful. Call me joyful. <laughs> I threaten people, you know, so (laughs) Helen Keller said this, keep your face to the sunshine and you cannot see a shadow. Some of y'all are like, that sounds good. What's he talking about? (laughs) See these lights. So I'm facing the lights. That's the sunshine. The shadows behind me. I don't see the darkness behind me because my eyes are on the light. That's what Helen Keller is saying. You focus on God. You focus on the good and you can't see the bad. So, last one in this yoge, yourself first, others, comparing to others, and then Jesus last. I won't spend a lot of time on this because I think we get it, but I'll just say this. James Hudson Taylor says, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Listen, I get it. Like, we want to make God in America, like, we want to make God one of the things in our life. That's just not how it works. God is not an accessory. He is the thing, or he is, you believe in him, but he's not your God. Somebody or something else is your God. That's what God means. Like, he's first. So how do we go from yoj to joy? It's real easy. J-O-Y. Jesus first. George Mueller says this. My first great and primary business every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. Because we don't always wake up ready to sing. Joy comes from rediscovering the awe and wonder of God. I think this is why God tells us to to learn from little kids. They have so much awe and wonder. And I see this with my girls, Callie Joy and Darby. Seriously, almost every single day, they don't miss a sunrise or a sunset. Literally. I don't care where we're at. We can be at a restaurant. They see the sunset. They already got the time down. They'll go outside and they'll take a picture of it. They wake up early just to see the sunrise. Literally, they'll go on the back porch and just, what are they doing? They are in awe of the glory and the wonder of God. And it fills them with joy because it right sizes God. He is big and glorious and we are not. They do the same thing. Like I get that, but they also do something a little, a little weird. They do the same thing with clouds. Every time we're driving around, they're talking about how cool the clouds are. Like, hey, dad, you see that cool cloud? I'm like, yeah, honey, it's a cloud. They're finding the wonder in a cloud. And I'm not talking sometimes, all the time. On their phone, they have photo albums of nothing but clouds, nothing of sunsets, nothing but sunrises. How are you discovering or rediscovering the all and wonder of God? I don't know what that looks like in your life. Joy comes from our relationship with Christ, not by our circumstances. This past week was the college softball World Series championship. (laughs) Go Gators, bless you, okay? (laughs) Unfortunately, they don't make this story. (laughs) Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma, back-to-back world champions. This year, they went on a win streak of over 50 games. I think at one point, it may have even eclipsed 60 games. 
And then on Wednesday and Thursday, they played in the final World Series. But right before their final World Series appearance, there was a press conference. And a reporter asked them a question. And I want you to listen to the brilliance of these 22-year-old, 21-year-old-ish athletes and how they responded to the reporter's question. Listen to this. For the players, I know you talked about keeping the joy of the game, but I'm curious. It's a long season, right? And you guys have had the target on your back the entire time, the win streak being number one. How do you handle the unique pressure that comes with that? How do you keep the joy for so long when anxiety seems like a thing that could very easily set in? Well, the only way that you can have a joy that doesn't fade away is from the Lord. And any other type of joy is actually happiness that comes from circumstances and outcomes. Um, I think Coach has said this before, but joy from the Lord is really the only thing that can keep you motivated, um, uh, just in a good mindset, uh, no matter the outcomes. Thankfully, we've had a lot of success this year, but if it was the other way around, uh, joy from the Lord is the only thing that can keep you embracing those memories, moments, friendships, and all of that. So uh, I would, that's really the only the only answer to that because there's no other way that softball can bring you that um, because of how much failure comes in it and just how much of a roller coaster the game can be. One thousand percent agree with Grace Lyons. Um, I've went through that my freshman year. I. I was so happy to win the college. I've talked about this before, but I was just so happy that we won the college world series, but I didn't feel joy. I didn't have, I didn't know what to do the next day. I didn't know what to do for that following week. I didn't feel filled and I had to find Christ in that. And I think that is what makes our team so strong is that we're not afraid to lose because if it's not the end of the world, if we do lose, yes, obviously we've worked our butts off to be here and we want to win, but it's not the end of the world because our life is in Christ and that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, I think a huge thing that we've really just latched onto is eyes up and you guys see us doing this and pointing up, but we're really like fixing our eyes on Christ. And that's something where, like they were saying, you can't find a fulfillment in an outcome, whether it's good or bad. And, um, I think that's why we're so steady in what we do and, and our love for each other and our love for the game because we know this game is giving us the opportunity to glorify God. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think once we figured that out and that was our purpose and everyone was all in with that, um, it's really changed so much for us. And I mean, I know myself, I, I've seen so much of a growth in myself with um, once I turned to Jesus and I realized how he had changed my outlook on life, not just softball, but understanding how much I have to live for, and that's living to exemplify the kingdom. And I think that brings so much freedom. And I'm sure everyone's story is similar, but we all have those great testimonies that have really like shown how awesome it is to play for something bigger. Um, and I think that's just what brings me so much joy. And no matter the outcome, whether we get a trophy in the end or not, we're, this isn't our home, and I think that's what's amazing about it is we have so much more. We have an eternity of joy with our Father, and I'm so excited about that. And yes, I live in the moment, but I know this isn't my home, and um, no matter what, my sisters in Christ will be there with me in the end um, when we're with our, our King. So, no, awesome. Wow. Wow. 
<laughs> that was unbelievable. Some of you have already seen it because it's literally going viral. I mean, these girls are sharp. They get it. Unprepared question. They just, I just think it was the Holy Spirit. I mean, what an incredible answer. And the question is, who or what will determine your worth? You see, their worth wasn't in softball. It was in Christ. And that's where they kept their joy. But what about you? Where is your worth coming from? If it's anything other than Christ, I can guarantee your life is a yo-yo. But with Christ, it's steady. I love that phrase. The last one said, we have an eternity of joy. Like anytime I'm having a bad day, I'm just gonna like, man, what about, I got an eternity of joy to look forward to. What a great line. I love that. The second thing, the O stands for others second. And when we don't compare others, but we do serve them. Acts 20, 35 says it's more blessed to give than receive. I want to encourage you, give an encouraging word. Give maybe somebody a meal. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe, you know, what we really need in our fast-paced digital age is people just want to be heard. Maybe give them a listening ear. And I know you want to talk, but can you just be still for 15 to 20 seconds and, or minutes? 20 seconds, that would be short. <laughs> 20 minutes. And just say, hey, how's your day? And, and wait and let them unpack that. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? Is there any way I could serve you? What a great opportunity we have to come alongside people. And then the last one is yourself third. You see, remember, God flips things upside down. When you put yourself third, God has a way of supernaturally helping take care of you. We just don't always look out for self because we trust God. Have an attitude of gratitude. That would be my encouragement. And I want to unpack this because we hear this kind of, maybe you've heard this before, but I want to help you understand what this does. When you have an attitude of gratitude, what you're doing is you're feeding your soul every time you're grateful. And sooner or later, your soul gets full and it gets content. And listen, the way I process this is if I'm going out to dinner and there's a buffet line, it's a lot easier for me to let everybody go first when I'm not hungry. When I am feeding my soul with an attitude of gratitude and I'm full, it's a lot easier to think of others. It's a lot easier to serve because I don't need anything. Like I've been good. And that's what gratitude does. It, keeps, it just makes you content. But if I'm always entitled, then there's never enough. The buffet line, doesn't matter what's in it, is never going to fulfill me. So I want to encourage you to have an attitude of gratitude. When you wake up with an attitude of gratitude, it's a lot easier to wake up with a song in your head and joy in your heart. And we saw this at camp. We had a, a leader go to camp that happened to have a son that was at camp. And this is what, this is what she said. I felt like David dancing before the Lord. That one time he was so wild with his wife. Uh, he was so wild dancing that his wife laughed at him. But I didn't care what anyone said or thought. It was the closest thing I could think by, about by being drunk in the spirit. I, can I couldn't imagine feeling like that before I was like that. It was the purest, most absolute form of Jesus' adoration I've ever felt. I wept for joy, absolutely wept for joy, when I heard the story of my son praising the Lord for the first time, I'm almost glad I didn't see it myself so I could hear about it from Tammy, the great storyteller. I wasn't dead before camp. I was very much alive and already full of joy. 
But this next level of joy was a new level of complete Holy Spirit unabandoned to the world's expectations of what worship and joy look like. This was a level of freedom I've only read about. It felt like a spiritual battle was being waged at the same time. So I was praising and interceding on new levels too. It was spectacular beyond compare, rewarding and all inspiring. Psalm 37, four says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Her desires of her heart was that her son would worship. She doesn't have any control over that. But you know what she does have control over? Delighting in the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. When people delight in the Lord, God always supernaturally comes and takes care of things that they can't control, money can't buy. Delight yourself in the Lord and the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. I love that. Christmas Eve, 1997, Karen Hartley wanted to go for a walk outside her Utah ski resort. That walk turned into a little bit longer of a walk and she ended up getting lost in the woods. As she got lost in the woods, the temperature was below 10 degrees. And she knew, she was aware enough to know that if she stopped moving, her body would shut down and she would die. And so she knew she had to stay active. She panicked at first, but then she gathered herself and she, to stay active, she did the only thing that she knew to do at the time, which was dance. And so she started thinking of all the 1990s songs and she began to dance to those. And she said that she danced every 90s song that she could remember. And after that, she went to the 80s and she started dancing to the 80s. And anytime I preach and I talk about the 80s and music, you say amen. Okay? It don't get better than that. And she, 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 hey, hey, hold on, hold on. She said she danced to every 80s song she knew. And then she went to the 70s. Some of y'all are amen in that. You need discernment, okay? It's okay. It's okay. And she said she danced to every 70s song. She danced so long, it was a total of 18 hours, and they rescued her. She ended up being fine, and she was said that she knew that it was either dance or die. Listen, sometimes you have to dance where you are to get where you want to go. Some of you are like, man, pastor, I hear this on joy, but you don't understand what I'm going through right now. I'd say dance. I'll just say dance. And some of you, you've been dancing, but it's been to the seventies music and you need to get to the eighties. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And you need to stick around in the eighties. Listen, that's what Paul did. How do you write a book on joy in a prison cell? He was dancing. He was just dancing to the Lord. And he was dancing in hopes. He was dancing almost in a prophetic way to block out the negativity because he understood it was dance or die emotionally, mentally, spiritually. People ask, well, how does Paul do that? How can you, how can you worship? How can you talk about joy in a jail cell? And I think he's, he shares this just a couple verses later, and it's probably the most misunderstood verse in all scripture, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. How do I worship in a jail cell? How do I dance when I'm in the process of freezing to death? Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's how. 
How, how can I go through this relational turmoil? How can I go through this bankruptcy? How can I do X, Y, Z? My dreams are being crushed. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's how. That's what Paul did. Paul would have been aware of the Psalms. I think he was clinging to Psalm 23, 13. It says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. It's like a prophetic word. I don't see it now. I will see. I'm looking. I'm focusing on the goodness of my God. Let me ask you this. What would your life look like every day before your feet hit the floor, before you grabbed your phone or your iPad? If you just whispered to God this one prayer, just I, I, want, I want to encourage you to just try it. Try it for seven days. Do it seven days and it doesn't work. I'll give you your money back. Psalm 118, 24. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Listen, that's really easy for me to say when I'm going to bed. But in the morning, before I know what God's got in my day, God, this is the day you've made. I don't know what you're going to bring. I don't know what email I'm going to get. I don't know what my boss is going to do. But I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Because joy is a choice. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. God, would you forgive me? Would you forgive us for how many times you have offered joy, but because it's a choice, we've said no, and we've, we've gone searching for happiness and joy in all the wrong places. And if we're honest, it's brought pain and heartache. And now we bring our brokenness to you and thank goodness you bring broken things to completion. And so God, I pray, would you help us to follow the lead of this incredible softball team that said our joy is not in wins. Our joy is not in notoriety. Our joy is not in a sport. Our joy is in Christ. God, I pray for any of us in this room online, Lake County, that if our joy isn't found in you, would you help us to right-size that today? It's in Christ's name we pray.